You're listening to the Beaver Tales podcast, which features exclusive interviews with former Oregon State student athletes. We talk about what they did at OSU, what the transition was like away from college athletics, and what they're passionate about now. Here's a little taste of what's coming up on this episode. I wanted to be on the field again, you know? All those feelings came rushing back after all these years. You know, I don't belong in the stands. I belong in the field playing and smell the grass and the dirt. And, you know, but, you know, it, you know where you're at in life. And I'm, you know, I have a wonderful wife, an awesome kid. But, you know, it's a piece of my life that kind of got me to where I am now. That's coming up on this episode. Now, I use this podcast to give free advertising to charities. So to hear about a great nonprofit you can support, stay tuned to the end of this episode. This is the Beaver Tales podcast with Josh Wharton, who has covered Oregon State athletics since 2013. Let me take you back to the 1990s today on the Beaver Tales podcast. Hi again, everybody. I'm Josh Wharton. Chris Pine was an OSU pitcher from 1995 to 98, a first team all Pac-10 player, second team freshman All-American, invited to play on the U.S. Olympic baseball team. A fifth-round draft pick of the 1998 MLB draft by the Milwaukee Brewers reached the AAA level during his pro career. The last 12 years, Chris Pine has been involved in baseball in a different fashion. He's the co-owner and lead instructor of the Yard Baseball Academy. That's up in Beaverton. He has private instruction, group classes for baseball and softball players, a number of different instructors that work there with him. Now, remember that Pat Casey started coaching in 1995, so Chris Pine was right at the beginning of the Pat Casey era. In fact, ask Pat Casey who his first big-time recruit was at OSU. That's Chris Pine, the Tualatin pitcher who initially signed to play at Washington State for their legendary coach, Bobo Brayton, but was persuaded to change his mind by Oregon State legend-to-be Pat Casey. So he'll share that story of how Pat Casey made him switch his commitment, his story of pitching at OSU, having two Tommy John surgeries during his pro career, and what he does now coaching up in the Portland area. So joining me on today's episode, Chris Pine, not the actor, even this Chris Pine in his Twitter bio says, no, I wasn't in Star Trek, not the actor, but the Beaver baseball player joins me now on the Beaver Tales podcast. Thanks for coming on, Chris. It's kind of fun this morning because I had just talked with Stephen Kwan and now talking with you. And so to talk with a player in Pat Casey's last year and then to talk with a player from his first recruiting class would be fun to chat. So thanks for talking with me. Perfect. Thanks for having me on, man. I'm curious about work with baseball academies and your work with the yard. We'll come back to time at Oregon State, but tell me about how you kind of got into the element of coaching, but but not with a particular school and, and how that kind of started for you. Yeah, you know, um, it's something I've always done since I, I mean, you know, I'm one of those guys that I think I've had a couple of real jobs. I think I was a bus boy for about three weeks in high school, you know, until they, uh, then they knew I played baseball, you know, and, and of course they scheduled me on a playoff, summer playoff game. So I, you know, I turned in my uniform that day and went to my game, you know, and then, you know, I always worked the camps and the, the lessons and that was just the stuff I, I helped out with through high school and college and even at the Cape Cod League and stuff. And, um, and then, you know, come my two Tommy John surgeries after I turned pro and that kind of led me down a little path. And you know, I came back pretty well from the first one. Um, but that second one, just uh, I moved back here and I was going through my rehab and it just wasn't bouncing back. But I was working at a different academy, really kind of what first ones in Portland and just really had a niche on it before they all popped up. And, you know, it was going well. My arm just wasn't coming back and it came back a little faster than, you know, I was throwing probably a little harder at 10 months. And I should have been probably at 13. So I was rushing through the second rehab 
since I've had such a good success with the first one. Um, and then uh, I just didn't come back and I kind of fell into this. Do I want to go through the whole minors and the rehab, you know, that whole thing again, if I get signed, it was just, it was really a mental, I think the physical part wasn't that bad. It's the mental part they really try to prepare you for. I was thinking about going back in, I had maybe some opportunities going back in the minors as a pitching coach. Uh, and then uh, really, I just, uh, a couple parents, I, I decided to leave my other academy job. Um, I was more or less running the place. And uh, a couple of parents came up and said, hey, what do we got to do to get you in your own place? And so we had, and they were real business savvy people that knew, you know, way smarter than me and ended up sitting down for a couple hours, running some numbers, talking it over. And I, um, I called a couple of guys that uh, I was working with at the time and uh, I actually trained them. <laughs> so I saw they were uh, in school and uh, we said, hey, do you want to open our own academy and do our things our way with our vision? And we jumped on it in November of 08 and kind of hit the ground run and went down that path. You know, it's going to be a good fit if potential clients and coworkers are urging you, hey, let's do this thing. And then it's already not set up completely, but but you've already got the ball rolling before you even. Really yeah, you know, it, it was it was a good sign. You know, it's just, you know, we, we did this for the love of the game. Um, I can tell you, we don't do it with you know, the hours and the money. Um, we don't do it, you know, uh, other than, you know, the love of the game and the passion we have and try to share the information. I was really blessed. You know, everywhere I went, I had somebody kind of take me under their wing and and help me get to where I was very, you know, very much stepping stone. So, um, you know, it's a way to kind of pay it forward, I would, I would say, and help out those that, you know, I see a future, you know, that haven't, that maybe not have an opportunity and, and kids that, you know, might not go to on to play college, but they just want to have a good, you know, athletic um, high school, you know, experience. Um, and they go on to be a, an, a student, you know, so, you know, we work, we got all kinds, uh, you know, over at the yard. So it's, it's, it's been real fun. When you use your experience of having two Tommy John surgeries and you're talking with kids, whether they're eight years old, 12 years old, whatever it may be, maybe some of them, you may talk to them and they're scared. What if I have Tommy John one day, maybe more likely they never think about it and they think they're invincible. There's probably more of the latter, but I'm sure maybe a little bit of both. What, what do you share with the kids from your experience that may help them? Um, well, I, sh I just share how many nights I had to, you know, cry myself to sleep about, you know, wondering if I was ever going to be able to compete again and throw. Um, it's come so far. I mean, my first surgery, it took me, I think, almost two years exactly to the day where I saw a first live hitter in a game with some of the setbacks I had, you know, and, you know, that was what, 99, I think. And then I had a second one in 2002. Um, unfortunately, mine was a different path. I, I was in a, we, uh, I was in a bad car wreck after uh, my first pro season. Um, in Ogden, Utah, we stayed with host families and I was with a host family and uh, we had a collared shirt rule and, you know, we were leaving the field and I had a t-shirt and it was real hot. So I took my seatbelt off. We were just leaving and I took my seatbelt, took the collared shirt off and a car pulled in front of us and we hit it. And I woke up in the emergency room and they were putting stitches in my head. I didn't know what was going on. And um, apparently I, the way I hit the dash and the windshield, it, it kind of tweak my arm because I was describing I just I mean I kind of made a little bit of a recovery but I was having so much pain in my arm I was describing the symptoms of Tommy John but yet the tests were coming back negative so it was making me look really bad I mean this the car wreck was total I mean you can see the car and uh and then my elbow and but yet everything was like well it's not showing any torn so um I ended up going home and doing a, a, a intensive rehab um and made it in time for the next spring training and I was throwing well so I, I must have just rehabbed it in about 14 innings into that season, I tore it on the first time. And I think they, they finally backtracked and they think it was partially torn, which I think you can still pitch through and rehab if it's to a certain point, if I understand that right back then. And um, they just didn't catch it or that wasn't happening. And I finally just tore it. Um, and that was my first one. That was pretty devastating. You know, I've never had an injury in baseball and 
And for that to happen, I get the ultimate one, you know, it was, it was really a, I remember the physical part, but they sat me down and said, Hey, you know, you need to talk to a psychiatrist. You're going to go through a mental rehab process that you never dealt with. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, it was, it was neat. It helped, you know, it prepared me to be able to handle some, some setbacks and some things like that, that you just aren't accustomed to. So it was, it was pretty devastating, you know, when it happened, but you know, you move on, it's part of the game. What was something you learned from the, the mental aspect, whether someone taught you something, gave you some advice, or you learned something about yourself, if it's not just a, a physical surgery you got to go through, but something more internal? Um, patience, you know, um, you know, having patience, let, let, listen to your body. Um, I was always someone that really pushed it, pushed it, pushed it. And um, I think the first year I made enough money not to have to work in the off season. Um, I usually worked for my cousin doing construction stuff and just you know, kind of easy outdoors, easy hours, but, um, it was still labor work. Um, as a pitcher, you know, we ran and we charted and we pitched. Um, so, but I think just, you know, having the patience to be able to listen to the body and, 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 you know, learn, I was, I'm still learning. I, I still tell kids, you know, educate. I'm not, I don't have all the answers. I've played all around the country and I share everything. Um, I have a bunch of different ways um, to help kids. You know, we don't say this is the one way, the cookie cutter approach where I'm going to teach the same mechanic to five kids. So, you know, I really learned that there's multiple ways to get to the end goal and the, the best ways to find that, that uh, best way for your, yourself. Because, you know, what worked for me might not work for the next guy, but I got three other ways to get him to do that. So it really broadened my, my vision of, of learning and being patient and understanding the body and that year I just made enough money. I just, I had a trainer in the off season. I got really flexible. I got really strong. And that was that next year I went to AAA. Um, so whether that was going to happen or not, I blame it on, you know, the flexibility and the, the conditioning and just that year really training correctly and just everything coming together. And then it helps, you know, from the surgery, I, I gained a few miles per hour, um, you know, so I was, I was throwing in a little crick in my arm. So I was throwing, you know, about 94, 95 with a sinker instead of, you know, I would touch 94, 95, um, but I'd sit low nineties and, you know, for the most part. So I came back with, with that mentality and that arm and um, it shot me through the, I think I had about 20 something innings before I, um, my first stint in triple a had a good run there. And unfortunately in 2002, the angels won the world series. So no one got hurt. No one was pitching bad. And, you know, I kind of stayed in triple a and um, that next year is when I hurt my arm again and blew out my arm again. And it actually, I guess, Dr. Yoakum said the bone broke. So the graph held it just like, think of a paper hole punch kind of ripping through the end of a paper. Yeah. think the ligament just kind of, rip through the bone that way. But, you know, the way I came back, I, I had it fixed. I was pumped about getting through it. And the only problem was I, I went on my own plan instead of following the plan. I was throwing about 90 miles an hour after 10 months. Oh. I probably should have been closer to 12 or 13. I ran into the, set, the setbacks. And that's when I decided to don't want to go through this for another 10 months, 12 months. So I, I have a great opportunity to open up a facility and, and really do this. And that was something I wanted to do. And so I decided, you know, it was, it was time. It was tough. It was time. It was some depression and some sadness. And, you know, you do that your whole life and it's taken away from you like that. There was, there were some things to deal with and whatnot, but the Academy kept me moving forward. I got to teach. And that, I think it was a big step because a lot of my friends, you know, they go and get their degree. They got a nine to five job in a cubicle, you know, some of those play baseball your whole life and then get into there. I, I saw a lot of the struggles and I was real fortunate because I'm still out doing baseball camps and teaching baseball. So for me, I think that eased, um, you know, my playing days being over a little bit. Real quick on that note, how, how did surgery exactly increase your philo your velocity and the crick in your arm? How did that work? Yeah, so um, I think just the, the, the rehab, I did stuff in there I, you, you'll never do on your own. It might do it now. They have these driveline programs, these, these arm strength thing. But back then it was, you know, um, 
it was physio balls, bands, you know, some shoulder work. They called them jokes, just, you know, three and five pound weights. So I'm in the weight room, you know, doing my five, five, three pounds next to a guy, you know, throwing up 20, 30 pounds looking at me, you know, like really. And then, you know, so I think just between the rehab and then the intense long toss program. And um, I think the ligaments are stronger than the one in tear. Cause from what I understand it, you know, the one in tear is about that big and the one they replace, you know, they take it out of your wrist right there. And so I think they weave it through um, of like a figure eight twice. Yeah. Um, if I understand that correctly. And so it's a little stronger as well with the rehab. So, you know, the joke is people are going to get it when they don't need it. And I'm just like, it's not a good joke. If you've had the surgery, I get it. I understand that. I probably would say it, but when you've had two of them and the rehab I've had, um, it's, it's not a funny joke, Yeah, <laughs> but it is. So, I mean, you laugh at it because I understand it from a baseball perspective, you know, I was already going to bring up one particular former Oregon state baseball player, a guy who played well after your time because of your work with academies. And there's a few different Beaver baseball players who've gone on to coaching specifically in, in non team formats. For example, Kyle Novak with base by pros, which mm -hmm. I think was started by Mitch Canham. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then also I uh, just had talked with Max Gordon recently with, with driveline, you just brought up driveline um, former Oregon state player, not to mention yeah. another similarity with, also in a car crash, also dealing with depression afterwards, a lot of parallels. I don't know if you've met Max or know him personally, but I know it's a lot of similarities in your story. Oh, no, I haven't, I haven't actually had the chance to meet him. Um, you know, he's, I have a four-year-old now, so these last couple of years, you know, have uh, with the business and the kid, you know, I haven't been able to do as much as I've, I've have down, down there, but you know, yeah, I mean, you know, part of this family, though, is those, you know, I, I've had a lot of beavers come through the door just to work out the academy, you know, and stuff. So I, I got to know, you know, Darwin Barney real well, just from him coming in the academy and hitting uh, Mitch, as you said, you know, I'm the coach now, let's, we did some stuff with baseball pros. And um, so, you know, I've always tried to have, a, be able to have a place for those guys to go after they're done, if they're still playing and have a place to work out and, and kind of do that. That beaver family, you know, has always been strong. So, you know, we're, you know, I think, at least the guys I've played with and stuff have always reached out and said, Hey, you know, if you ever need anything and, you know, and I've noticed, you know, we've done that at the reunions and seen some of the older, you know, players ahead of us and the younger players and, and stuff. So it's been a pretty good support system and, and, and whatnot, you know, for anybody, I think dealing with that, if they want to reach out and, and kind of help, because it is, it's prevalent. I think, you know, like me, I didn't share a lot, you know, nobody wants to go out and say, you know, Oh, poor me. I'm not going to play professional baseball anymore. And nobody's going to feel sorry for you, but you know, when you've done that your whole life and all of a sudden you don't get to do it anymore, you know, it's, it's, there's some real, real stuff you have to deal with. And I think uh, only other players would understand. Let's talk about how you came into the Beaver family that you, you now have called home since you played there in the, in the late nineties, you, your plan originally was to go play for Bobo Brayton and, and Washington state. And that was kind of the expectation and then something changed. So what happened with Pat? Casey? You know, um, you know, it's a funny story. I know, uh, you know, I've said it a few times, but um, you know, coming up as, as I was, you know, we talked a little bit earlier, I was like, Ron Dyer and Gary Murphy, my Twalton high school coaches were instrumental in making, you know, help me get to where I, I got to, but they also came from Tiger high school with Tom Campbell and those guys, you know, those guys were producers at Ken Cameron, Mike Kincaid, they had Steve Cook, you know, guys that were up in the big league. So of course, you know, those, a couple of those guys went to Washington state. So when those were guys were a little closer to me, so I'm like, okay, Washington state. And they were a powerhouse. You had Bobo. And then everything changed my senior year, you know, Bobo was out and uh, Riley left and um, there was just a changing of the guard. And I still went on the recruiting trips, you know, as I, I didn't really start pitching until my junior year. So I wasn't on anybody's radar. You know, I came out and had really two good junior, senior years. And so all of a sudden I was getting drafted, recruited. And so I was going on all these trips and uh, Oregon State just wasn't recruiting me. And part of it was, I think I just wasn't on George Fox's radar and, and he brought his guys over. And I went on a trip down there. It was kind of a rainy day and he 
brought a player in and kind of pawned a player on me. And so he took me around Corvallis on a rainy day and was like, oh, we're not really we're signing anybody early. And so I was like, okay, you know, I'm getting wine and dine by the other schools. And so I went up to Washington State and loved it there. Beautiful university. So I finally called all the other coaches and kind of told them like, hey, I've decided to go to go to Washington State. And, and then I called Coach Casey. And um, after then, he's seen me pitch, I think, a few times in fall ball. And I think word got around. So they were a little more uh, aggressive in trying to recruit me. So he just basically asked if he can come into my house. He was the only coach that didn't do a house visit. So I said, you know, fair enough. Let's let him come in. And about 10 minutes into it, I already told myself I'm going to Oregon State. So we went through the visit, kind of left. I talked to my parents and basically called them and said, hey, I'd love to love to be a beaver. And that was that was it. Um, it was it was kind of a whirlwind. You know, I didn't you know, my coaches were really helping me. My parents didn't know what to do. They just you know, this came so fast. They were just kind of real, real supportive. So. It was a real whirlwind all of a sudden to going from just playing some high school baseball to having, you know, Pac-10 offers. I had professional scouts, you know, calling, wanting to come over. It was just, it was a real, real fast one in two years, you know, once that happened. But um, I think going to Oregon State was definitely the right choice, you know. Um, you know, even out of high school, I was drafted out of high school and, you know, I was given a fairly decent offer out of high school on um, the past. I still decided to go to Oregon State, even, you know, the gym over at Goss Stadium, the, the wooden bleachers with only girlfriends and parents. You know, those are the only people that would come to the games. Maybe a student passing by would stop and watch an inning. So, you know, it was the decision to go play with that team and the coach, you know, because these other universities where I was looking at, you know, had stadiums and packed crowds. And, you know, we had an outfield that the ball would drop and get lost in because it was so mushy. And, um, but, you know, that's he sold a vision. And as you can see now, that vision was executed. And, and you know, I'm very, very happy that I was fortunate enough to be a small part of that at the beginning. Washington State kind of put the screws to me because I was an out-of-state guy. So, and I had a, almost, I think I have almost a full ride. So I was taking up a lot of in-state tuition. So they called me and said, hey, I need to make a decision in, in like a day or two. So they kind of put the screws to me. So I think if they would have probably gave me longer, they probably, I probably would have ended up going there. I mean, who knows? So they, you know, in a way that then put the pressure on me, a forced coach to come up and come and talk to me. And, and that changed everything right there. So, um, you know, in hindsight, it's easy, but, um, you know, that was in the past. I'm, I'm Luckily, the beaver and, and look what they've done. And just it's, it's been a blessing in disguise, man. I, I, I still talk about this day, how happy I was to end up, you know, going to Oregon State to play. So what was it in that meeting with Pat Casey that made you realize, OK, 10 minutes in, I, I know I'm going there. You know, it was, it, I don't want to say it was one thing. It was um, I think he's a man of his word, not saying the other coaches weren't. Um, but, you know, they had established programs where freshmen came in and very rarely were starting or had an opportunity. They redshirted. They had a pretty good sophomore year. And then those guys that were high draft picks, they came out their junior year. You know, that was their coming out party typically at Arizona State and, you know, these big schools and USC. Coach was like, if you can, if you can play as a freshman, you're going to play. So I, that was probably the one thing I'd say that was stood out the most was him thinking, uh, telling me I'd get an opportunity as a legit opportunity as a freshman um, to play and I end up being, you know, one of the starters my freshman year. Um, so you know, that was, that was probably a big reason was, you know, I knew I can come in and pitch, but I didn't want to do, you know, and there was a little bit of the changing of the guard too. You had a lot of Riley's guys there that they did it, you know, as freshmen didn't do this, you know, you, you paid your dues. And so I can tell there was a, there was a little rebirth of, you know, no, if, if this freshman can get guys out, he's going to pitch, um, you know, and, and so, um, you know, the, and the guys were great. The, the seniors there, you know, I'm sure it was hard, not easy to have these, you know, other guys come in, other recruits that taking their spots, you know, um, but they were real supportive. They helped the young guys. And, you know, we had a three good, you know, my three years there, we had a great three year run there and, 
Um, you know, a lot of it was those older guys, you know, not, not just turning their backs on the new recruits and the new coaches and the players, uh, you know, guiding us and helping us um, get to that level. So when they left, you know, we had a, we had a continuation of that and it carried over with, uh, you know, with us and taking the, the younger kids under their wings. In. And that's the program you see today. I think, you know, it was really kicked off by those, those last year, you know, Riley guys, um, you know, taking us under and, and creating that new, new dynasty. So. I'm sure you caught a little bit of the fire and intensity of Pat Casey in that first home visit you had, and then definitely playing for him over the next three years. Is there a story you can recall that kind of shows Pat Casey's intensity being kind of challenging and fiery, but, but ultimately a guy you respect and cared for any particular stories? Yeah. You know, um, you know, we used to run at Goss around and he'd be in there just playing. I guess he, he was, he's an amazing basketball player. I guess there were stories of him and Danny Ainge coming up and battling and, um, they're both, you know, two sports studs. So, you know, I'd run around Goss and he'd be down there running the gym, just playing some hoops, conditioning. The guy's in phenomenal shape. Um, and he'd just be down there running the court, you know, showing these young guys how it's done and, and watching them run. But the, the guy's a competitor, even on a friendly pickup game, um, the intensity there. And, you know, and I love that because when I started going to some of the Olympic trials, the Cape Cod League, I was meeting guys from Washington, Washington State, guys you're competing against, you know, every weekend. Um, some of them became really good friends of mine just going to these things and, we're all kind of similar, like, God, you're, you're kind of a nice guy, you know, cause they're, you know, you're on the field, you put your hat down and, you know, and I buzz guys, I, I'd have to look it up, but I was up there and hits Batman two of my three years at, in the pack 10. I was up there in strikeout. So I was, I was wildly, you know, effective, I guess, as they call it. But, you know, when you're up there brushing guys back at 95 and, you know, and whatnot, and then you go meet them at something and they're like, Oh, you're a really nice guy. Um, so I love that intensity. Cause I felt like I was the same way when I stepped between that lines, you know, I got to pull my hat down and just really go after it. And after, you know, the game was over, I was kind of back to myself and happy and, you know, let's go have fun and, you know, enjoy life and, and whatnot. And so um, his, his intensity was, was more enmeshed with mine where like Washington state, they were, I think both football, they're like, all right, we're going to be up at 6am as a team. We're going to eat. Then we're going to go to 6am workouts as a team. And then we're going to have a study hall. And then, it just, it seemed for, uh, for army regimented. Um, so it was a little, little more intense than I wanted. Um, I think for my college experience, but, um, that was their way. And I think guys, you know, that wanted that were able to go that route. And, you know, with KC, I think just, you have the right amount of intensity, game intensity, I guess the game faces they want to call. Cause obviously people have gotten the normal of the years. One of the most nice, generous, generous, you know, guys around, yeah. um, really cares about the kids. And, and from what I can tell from my recruiting to his last day is, he means what he says. If he says he's going to do it, he does it, you know, and he gave me an opportunity as a freshman, you know, and um, that's all you can ask for is an opportunity. And then, you know, my, me to make the team and, and he's done that. And, and he, it looks like he's stuck with that because I see a lot of freshmen have come in and you've seen what, you know, you know, winning the world series, you know, a freshman won the world series. Right. I think Kevin, uh, April or Apple, April, yeah. April, um, he, he won that you know, and, and so they bring in arms and they get these freshmen. So I think it's a good culture that these big arms that are fresh, you know, seniors in high school can come into Oregon state and, and be effective their first year and not have to wait a redshirt a year. And I think that's important too, for, for the recruits they're getting. Right. One last question, maybe one last one or two on Pat Casey. I've heard a lot of people say how intense he is works because you can tell it's because he has a higher opinion. Even even Kwani, when I was talking to Stephen Kwan today, he was like, Pat Casey would get after me and yell at me, but it was because he knew I was better than how I was performing. So really it was, it was an example of confidence in the player, not just cutting him down. And he was good at challenging guys like that who were fiery themselves, kind of like you. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, 
I think most people around me know, you know, I went to Oregon State as an athlete student. I know it's bad to say, you know, but back then, um, you know, I was drafted out of high school. I, you know, I went there, you know, hoping, you know, I'd be there for three years and, and can move on. Um, you know, and I think he knows that too. I think, you know, when you're in the baseball culture, um, you know, that's just, you know, what's going to happen. And um, the carry takes, you know, a good story about that is, um, you know, as a friend, you know, I had a really good freshman year, um, you know, even before the season, you know, you're an 18 year old kid on a full scholarship. And um, so, you know, academically, you know, I wasn't doing as good as I should have been. And, and, you know, he takes, he takes very vested interest instead of a lot of guys, coaches would just ship you out and bring somebody else in and not waste your time. Um, you know, he made sure that I was getting the class and there was a small time, just a small one, but I'd have to meet him at the office in the morning to let him know I was up and going to class. Um, but once again, these are all things I feel like that shaped me when I left Oregon State because I didn't have that when I left. And me being able to develop that um, really helped me, you know, in the real world. So just having my high school coaches and Coach Casey and even, you know, Kurt Kemp was there for the first year, Dan Spencer, um, Ron Northcutt was a big part of, of, you know, our early, I know he's still around, but he was very involved as a coach when I was there. And um, so all those guys had a very big impact for me leaving Oregon state and preparing me for professional baseball. And basically, you know, that's where you're like, look, if you don't perform, you're out, you know, they got 18 other guys waiting to take your spot. And so, um, you know, same thing like classes, you know, if you don't go we'll get somebody else. And so I learned to push through, you know, a lot of things and, um, and it, it really helped me get to where I was, you know, in that respect, because, you know, coach Casey took that interest in those players. He just, he doesn't want them to succeed on baseball. Those guys will succeed in baseball. They're athletes. He's getting a lot of guys succeeded for life. And that's, that's a big part of the draw at Oregon state, not that the other coaches, but getting to know coach Casey, um, you know, that was a big, big, you know, thing. I think I got out of Oregon state, you know, when I left was being ready for the real world. I talked about this similar topic with uh, Gary Henderson, who ended up coaching mm -hmm. with Pat Casey, another pitching coach for Oregon State for a while. Um, and we talked about that same concept of Pat Casey getting after guys, but because he knows they can be better. And Gary pointed out that's a good that's a good quality to have. But a lot of coaches do that. He's far from the only one who does that. So mm -hmm. that alone doesn't make Pat Casey special, although it it is part of it. So if you had to put words to uh, what does separate Pat Casey? He's good at that, but but what is it even beyond that that still makes him distinct from all the other coaches? Who is a lot of other coaches who also do that same thing? So what is it about Pat Casey that pushes him to another level? You know, I, well, I think if you look at those early years, um, they won the championships with Northwest players, Oregon players. Um, their ability to recruit and see talent and develop talent to me, because you look at USC they're getting first, second round picks going there and Oregon state's getting them now too. And, but they're all getting other players, but you know, a lot of these big schools that you see ranked every year, along with Oregon state, you know, they're getting big arms. Um, I feel like Oregon state, you know, they get some of those guys, but he gets guys that, that develop. I mean, you, you hear about guys that, you know, come in their name. And then by the time they're juniors, they're top five picks. Um, so for me and what the coaches have done at Oregon state is they, they get talent, but they cultivate and they get the most out of the talent coming through there. And, I mean, you've seen guys that, you know, don't even, you don't really know who they are and then leaving going pro, um, you know, from just having the opportunity to be able to learn, develop, and then having a coming out party, maybe their junior year or their good year. And so I think for them to be able to get the talent they have, but then some of the other guys that recognize the potential in some of these other local guys that get looked over, um, just being in an academy and seeing guys go to colleges and seeing who develops, who doesn't, whatnot. I, the guys going to Oregon State, uh, Brandon Iser is a good example of lefty. 
you know, he came through the academy, you know, for many, many years when he was younger. Um, you know, so I, and then when he got into high school, you know, continue to follow him. I loved watching him at Oregon State. You know, he's a kid that, you know, I didn't expect him to do what he did at Oregon State. Um, just, you know, once again, I had him as a youth kid and, and tracked him, but I feel like he's someone that got down there and continued to develop um, and became one of their left-handed arms, you know, of the bullpen. So, um, you know, I think reasons like that for me is why I see Oregon State success. And, you know, Pat Casey was going around and getting those Northwest local guys that, you know, would normally slip through the cracks and developing them, um, not just getting them into play. Because there's a lot of guys that will come in, they just – They'll play and they end up transferring out or whatnot. And, um, you know, those are the guys you want around, you know, and so, you know, and those get far and fewer. And once you learn about the culture of the program. So I think, you know, getting those guys and buying into the program um, is really what's made that, you know, university unique and, and their program. So winning. I think that's a great answer that, that does touch on kind of what Pat Casey does fairly specially and, and worked both when he could only recruit mostly Northwest guys and, and more yeah. you know, since 06, 07. Where and that's came. part of why I went to Oregon State that, you know, not only with him selling it, but, you know, he took over all those guys from George Fox that were a year ahead of me that I knew, you know, Brody, I think Matt Bailey, Brody Purcell, um, you know, some other guys that were just coming. So I was like, oh, that's going to be a really good team, you know, and um, of local guys and stuff. And so um, and back then, that's what you didn't think about getting a guy from Arizona or Florida. You might get a couple of California, Hawaii guys from connections, but you know, you just weren't seeing the, the names and the arms uh, coming that were going to Arizona state and USC. So um, yeah, it's been fun. The last topic that I'd like to, to go over in our conversation just for this podcast um, touches more on, on your development as a person. I kind of do this with it with every student athlete of not just mm -hmm. who were you as a student athlete, or as you say, an athlete student, <laughs> um, which, Hey, we all develop, we all mature and, and look back on life differently when we get, when we get older. And that's actually really what I wanted to ask. So basically two, qu two questions to kind of touch on your time since you left Oregon State. And, and we talked a little bit about your time with the Yard now. I'll, I'll post the link to the Yard website so people can check it out, especially if they've got kids up in the Portland area and want to do a, a, an instructional checkup and evaluation or whatever it may be. But for you as a person, once you not only moved on from Oregon State, but once you moved on from professional baseball, what I'll start with the hardest thing and then, and then the most gratifying, the, the most developing, the best thing. Let's start with the hardest. What, what has been an area that's been difficult, something you have to work through in post-college, post-baseball life? I would say, you know, I didn't go to my first baseball game, probably I then went to a Hillsborough Hops game with my wife, which was just a couple of years. Uh, I'd probably say, you know, not not too long ago. It, it was a long time before I went to my first live game, you know, and even then it was really weird. Just inside, it's like just I want to be on the field again. You know, all those feelings came rushing back after all these years. You know, I don't belong in the stands. I belong in the field playing and smell the grass and the dirt and, you know, but, you know, it, you know where you're at in life. And I'm, you know, I have a wonderful wife, an awesome kid, love my, love what I do and stuff. So, you know, it's, it's really apples and oranges. I don't regret or miss anything, you know, or regret anything, I guess, in that sense, you know, you can miss it, but, you know, it's a piece of my life that kind of got me to where I am now. Um, I would say, you know, the hardest was watching it. It's, it's eased over time because my friends that were playing or people I knew that were on there, they're all retiring or, you know, get to that age where they're all getting out of baseball. So before when I see teammates in there, it made it a little harder, but um, I think just being able to, to enjoy the game again, um, was, has been the hardest, was the hardest thing to do. Um, but I think teaching it, it kind of distracted me from the plant aspect of not playing. Yeah. Um, so I know that was, it might be a weird answer, but it was yeah, just it yeah. was something I think a lot of guys, you know, will, will struggle with, um, you know, in that, 
that have gone through similar things, whether it's injury or just, you know, they weren't good enough. And there's a piece of me I've been like, Hey, I wish I just got cut and toy wasn't good enough versus having the game taken away from me. Um, so, you know, you toy with that sometimes too, but um, you know, that that's, that's probably was the hardest, you know, I think, like I said, over time it eases and now, you know, I, I can enjoy a game and hoping to get my kid there. My kids, you know, he's just turned four and he switch hitting from both sides and, um, you know, funny story when he was born, the, uh, some of the coaches over, over there sent a, uh, a recruitment letter to Carson, you know, so, you know, future beef and all that. So, uh, you know, I have that in his baby book ready to go. And, you know, you can hope one day I won't, I won't push him. And, um, you know, going through what I went through, I think I'll be educated more. So if baseball is in his future, I'll be able to help him, you know, guide him through it a little bit more, um, in the preparation on, on kind of what I didn't know and stuff. So, you know, it's, it's all got me prepped for, you know, this next stage of my life with, with the family and whatnot. So, um, you know, I kind of think things happen for a reason. I'm a big karma guy. I think karma, you know, I've kind of lived my life by just being a good person and doing the right thing. I don't need, you know, you know, more than that, I think just to kind of get me through. And so I think just, you know, having him be able to come, come up and teach him right. And if he wants to play great, if not, you know, if he's happy, I'll, I'll support him that way too. I look forward to the 2035 college world yeah. series and seeing <laughs> Carson sling it for the bees. now. We hope, you know, cause I'm really good friends with uh, Randy Rutschman, Adley's dad. Yeah. Um, he's a staple here in the Tiger Twalton Sherwood area. And so, you know, watching Adley do what he did at Oregon state and go on, you know, it's just things like that. Now it's just, it's been real fun. Cause I've known, you know, Rutschman since high school and, you know, Adley obviously seen him as a kid grow up and stuff. So you know, it's, it's going to be fun now to see that I'm getting to the age where kids I train young are now going to college, getting married, having kids, playing on. I have a couple guys in the minors now. Got Parker Kelly, you know, Carson Kelly's brother. I'm helping out the academy. Um, Colt Sakamoto, Jeff Sakamoto, former Beaver. So he's helping out the academy now. And um, so, you know, we try to try to just keep baseball fun and happy with the COVID stuff going around. I mean, the kids have been locked up. It's, you know, kids need to get outside and play. And so I'm hoping, you know, we can help with that a little bit as, as, the winter rains come well I, I think that covers honestly both the difficult but the things you value i can already pick up you know from what you're talking about are the things that have been more gratifying and, and valuable in your life so I, th I think that really you know sums it up pretty well so yeah i really appreciate your time coming on the podcast talking about all sorts of things from coaching to osu and pat casey and, and life since then so thanks so much for everything yeah yeah thanks for having me on man it's been fun well, that was really cool to hear from a baseball player from the 90s, had not yet gotten anyone from that era, so awesome to talk with Chris Pine. I'll definitely use some of those clips talking about Pat Casey and the history of Beaver baseball going back a few years in the Beaver baseball documentary I'm producing. To learn more about that, check out the link in the description. The Beaver Tales documentary coming out a few months from now. By the way, the charity I'm featuring today, the Benton Community Foundation, helping out right here in Corvallis in this area, helping people with homelessness, uh, elder care, youth programs, a lot of amazing work they do right here locally, so your money will go a long way. So I'll put a link for their website where you can donate in the description as well. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Beaver Tales documentary. Speaking of that documentary, I talked with Stephen Kwan as well, a little bit more beyond just the 2018 team, although that is the subject of the documentary. I'll post part of that conversation on this podcast just because we do still talk a little bit about life now and, and some memories from 2018 that'll be fun to listen to, but that'll be a teaser for more clips that you can hear on the Beaver Tales documentary, but you'll be able to hear Stephen Kwan coming up soon on the Beaver Tales podcast, the one you're listening to right now. And he was one of my favorite episodes from a lot earlier, so hopefully you'll enjoy a second edition with Stephen Kwan. Also trying to represent all the sports, so always feel free to give me feedback what sports you want represented 
talented the most, any particular athletes you'd like me to track down. Until next time, I'm Josh Warden. Good night, everybody, and go Beavs.